0: Welcome back to my podcast, Stephen Sully Study. The study, as I've said so many times, is about studying very, very successful individuals. This guy next to me is a success, definitely in my eyes, and also the, the internet world, the social media world. Thank you very much for inviting me uh, to
1: your Shmi Museum. Absol- or
0: schmuse him.
1: Absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming down. Yeah. Great to be uh, here joining you on the podcast.
0: Wicked. Uh, so, Tim Burton, okay? Um, I'm gonna, I am going to. I want to talk about your journey. I want to talk about social media. I obviously want to talk about these great, great cars. You're taking me on a bit of a tour. Goals, vision for the future, the Gumball Rally, etc. I want to start with a conversation that we were talking about when we were over here by the, Ferrari, by the two Ferraris, which is... Some of the questions I'm gonna ask you is not necessarily from me, but maybe from like my dad's point of view, okay? It sounds okay. a bit weird. My dad's gonna be 65, no, 64 in the next few weeks, and maybe a bit like your dad, social media, podcast, they don't really get it. It's, it's not really in their world, okay? And he would ask me certain, certain things, which is a bit of a, like a devil's advocate kind of stance to take. So, here, here's what I mean. Um, where should I start? A few years back, I went to Monaco to watch the Formula 1, and it was the last year when it went from V8 to V6, okay? Mm-hmm. And at that, that transition period, I was like, I started listening to the Formula 1 cars, V6, and I was like, I'm actually a little bit troubled by this, because it doesn't sound as good. Now, I got used to it, and it sounds phenomenal, but the V8s were just so incredible. And as time has gone on, I've owned a few different cars, Ferraris, Porsches, etc., and Lamborghinis, and even the car I thought turned up into to today, the 488 spied up, great car. It's weird with a turbo on a Ferrari for me, because I had the 458 before that. And I s- start to feel a bit concerned that the combustion engine is going to be taken over in some many years from, from now into electric. And does that mean the end of the supercars? And does it actually pose a risk to your channel? So is your channel under some kind of risk, Tim?
1: I feel like we've jumped straight into the deep end <laughs> yeah. here, haven't
0: we? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, for those who don't know, obviously, the Shmi 150 channels, the Museum channel is all about living the supercar dream. That's the tagline mm-hmm. that my channel's always had. And it's about sharing my experiences of the car world, test drives, um, ownership experiences, events, rallies like Gumball. and a very positive and passionate world, I think, something that's very close to my heart. You know, I've grown up admiring supercars and um, I've always been very excited about these things and to be able to live around them every day and to be fortunate enough to own quite a few of the cars myself is a complete dream, quite literally. Um, It's a changing landscape. The world of EVs, electric vehicles, and, well, certainly hybrids right now is obviously something that's immensely political. There's a lot of discussion around it, but I think there will always be a passionate niche for true combustion engine, exciting, emotional experiences. You know, we look back now at Formula One, as you said, from the slightly previous generation, the previous engine generation, we look back at supercars of the slightly earlier generation before turbos before now you have electric motors and hybrids Um, and i'm commuting and driving daily my sf90 stradale which is a 1000 horsepower ferrari that just so happens to have some electric motors so you can drive it in electric drive and i really enjoy that feeling and that technology i think i enjoy the advancement in technology and i appreciate the the reasons for that uh, and having the option to choose how you drive it but i think when it comes to the content that i create it's like the closest equivalent I can think of is say, uh, equestrian activities, horse racing, show jumping, et cetera. Horses were used as a means of transport if you go back far enough. But now while it's a niche, there's still a lot of interest and in, you know, all sorts of championships, competitions, et cetera, and and use cases. And I think it will be the same with cars. I think they'll change. The combustion engine car will change how it's used. They might move more towards being only allowed in 10, 20 years time at specific events, specific venues, locations, track days perhaps, but I think they'll always exist and there will always be the opportunity to create content around that. So it will be a mix of your electric cars. as the content I do now. Uh, I film whenever BMW, Audi or Mercedes release a new model. I'll make a video about it and it will be the same, but those will all be electric. There will be electric supercars and hypercars. Although that industry has had a very slow start, a very, very slow start because if you're talking a seven-figure car, you know, a million pounds, million dollars plus, it's a very emotional decision. Nobody is sitting there thinking, I'm gonna buy this because I need it, you know? You don't need it. There's no justification for spending a million pounds on a car. You do it because you want it, because your heart says, I have to have that, right? Um, it's the same even at any Ferrari or Lamborghini. You, you, the performance is way beyond what you need. The technology is way beyond what you need. Speed limits don't even allow you to do half of what, 10% of what the car can do. And because of that, we follow our heartstrings. And I think our heartstrings will constantly want to see content about combustion engines. Mm. I think cars from the 90s and early 2000s are seeing a massive increase in price right now. Everything from your uh, JDM cars, like your R34 GTRs, through to your Porsche Carrera GTs. I've recently bought a Clio V6 early 2000s, same story. That part of the industry is taking off like never before because I think a lot of people realize it's the end of that. It's mm. the end of a naturally aspirated engine and a manual gearbox and a sound. Mm. So make the most of it.
0: Yeah. It's part of the reason why when I was on the Gumball Rally, it, there's many cars to choose from. You know, you could go for something very comfortable or something which is more comfortable than let's say the car I drove. In actual fact, there was a day when I was absolutely destroyed as far as my uh, energy was concerned. I was going from Atlanta to Miami. and. I feel a bit embarrassed to say this. I had one hour sleep. I literally lived and breathed the drive all day, party all night scenario, because it was my first ever rail thought I've got to get the most out of this. And I spent a fricking tonne of money for it. And halfway through that drive, I said to my business partner, I am dying here. Thankfully, uh, Tyrone and Darren was in a Rolls Royce uh, Cumberland. And they, they said, why don't you jump in the back and just go, go sleep. And I li- yeah. literally sat in there and went for a sleep for an hour and it sorted me right out. And it was, <laughs> it was great. So I could have done that, but since I think it started in 1999, Gumball. Yeah. And I've been following it on YouTube ever since a kid, even before, way before I had a driver license. And I thought, if I'm ever going to do that, I need to do it in something that was going to have theatre. There's no point of doing it in something comfortable. Um, there's plenty of options to do that. I need to do something which has got so much theatre, so much drama. And for me, the doors of the Aventador, the Lamborghini badge, the sound of v- V12, the flames that come out the back—it just, it was just so perfect. But at the same time, I always get a bit sad to think that in years to come, we may not have things like that around anymore. So much, you know. There, there's obviously going to be collections out there, but I do get a bit sad about it. I feel like it's dying off. And I've got to be honest, I'll tell you a very short story. I had a Galado, uh, yellow Galado convertible, one of the best cars I ever bought. Uh, I think it was, what model was it? It was the first ever Galado that came out. Mm-hmm. My former business partner, Michael, who you know, uh, we went to Ferrari, because he was looking at a Ferrari to buy. It. And Sean, Tom, yep. uh, from Kensington, who you probably know. Yeah, I do indeed. He need. said, why don't I take you out in a 458? And I went, all right. So anyway, took me out, I, th- I had a test drive in it. I've got to be honest, I wasn't in love with it, but I thought, well, I had this Lamborghini for like two and a half years. And he said, why don't you get it? Uh, I paid over the list at the time, 225 grand, I think it was crazy, a red one. <laughs> and the moment I had it, I thought it was a, a better car than a Lamborghini, but it didn't make me feel as good yeah. as the Lamborghini. And then I went back to a Lamborghini Performante uh, Gallardo.
1: Oh, the Gallardo Performante, the yeah. Spider. Yeah.
0: yeah, Which had all the X's over it yeah. uh, at one time. and. I fell back in love it made me really 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 adore the car so sometimes when the car is too technically brilliant i don't know if you can vouch for
1: this for sure you kind of lose that flair it's a really funny one and you know we don't know what the future is there's all this talk at the moment obviously about let's say plan a which is that everything's going to go electric in 2035 and Gone is the car as we know it. Um, I think there's also a plan B where synthetic fuels can work and, you know, actually maybe EV isn't the best thing for the world, but that's a whole big can of worms (laughs) to not necessarily go down right now. But you are completely correct that, it's like I was just saying, a big part of this is the feeling from the car, the emotion of the car. It's not necessarily the top trump statistics because those have gone through the roof. Your Tesla Model S Plaid you know, the 1,000 horsepower family saloon electric car Mm. can accelerate zero to 60 miles an hour in the right conditions on a prep strip, et cetera, et cetera, with rollout in under two seconds. Your combustion engine cars can't do that because they don't have that instant torque and they never will. But once you've done it once or twice, done, what what next, you know? What you get from a car with an engine is a feeling. And if you're a car person, if you're a person who lives and breathes this stuff, That sensation of a spine-tingling flat six in a Porsche, or a screaming V10 in a Lambo, or any V12, or any V8, you go on and on and on. That's irreplaceable. The sensation of speed doesn't replace the feeling of the engine working and doing its thing. Now, obviously, as a globe, we need to pay pretty close attention to the environment when, like, nobody's gonna say otherwise, I think. Well, nobody should say otherwise. But I would be very sad if we see the demise of the supercar, purely as a result of political decisions Mm. which
0: i fear so uh you founded the brand back in 2010 i'm going to talk i want to talk all about this but just highlighting some of the figures that i've got online so your youtube 2.36 million instagram 1.5 million tiktok 379.3k facebook 2.7 million now when i look at that That is unbelievable. And that's where I want to get to in my world of podcasting, where I'm in a different sort of space, but at the same time, similar because I'm on the internet. But then it's also be careful what you wish for, because with that comes other things. Responsibility. Mm. You're an influencer. You're someone that is quite important now. Um, Do you ever feel pressurised that you've got so many eyeballs on you that if you put one foot out of sync or wrong, you're going to be heavily criticised?
1: The short answer is absolutely, completely. The long answer is, if I rewind back to when I started, obviously no followers online, no objective, because when I started uploading pictures of cars to Facebook was around 2007, 2008, posting on forums online, websites, you know, static old school forums, and just started to build up a feeling for enjoying sharing cars. I was lucky to live in central London. I saw some amazing stuff. Um, you know, I remember, very well when my YouTube channel, which I launched in January 2010, I say launched, I had uploaded videos prior from school. You know, I was ripping mini DV tape camera videos that I'd shot of my friends playing rugby or whatever, and also a few car things. But when I uploaded my first video that stuck on the channel uh, since in January 2010, I remember when the channel reached 500 subscribers. I remember when it reached 1,000 subscribers. I remember when it reached 10,000 subscribers. I remember all of those specific moments of watching it, hitting refresh, watching it. And you know, those felt like huge numbers. When it hit 500 subscribers in, I wanna say summer 2010, at the time, that was unreal to think that 500 people were following videos that I was uploading. Mm. Um, Obviously, I've lived through this basically daily since. You know, I'm 12 and a half years now of uploading a video pretty much every day. In total, I've done over 5,000 videos on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Plus, goodness knows how much content on other platforms as well. And my YouTube channel um, is only a few months shy of hitting one billion views now which is a figure that makes me sit back and sometimes question kind of how is that possible? So I've grown with this over time. So when we talk about the responsibility, uh, being an influencer, I haven't stepped into it overnight like somebody who goes on a reality TV show. You know, they have no prior experience and then boom, everyone knows who they are. I've been lucky to develop myself as a person and evolve in my understanding of the responsibilities in the world around me. As it's all grown. Now, obviously, there are lots of contractual commitments I have in terms of the brands that I'm working with and my partners, but also there's the requirement to feed the machine, let's say, to create the content, because at the end of the day, let's be real, I've got finance payments and salaries to pay. So I've got to make sure that as a business, I've got the cash flow coming through, and that creates a need to do things, but you also have to balance out. You can't rush in and just do something willy nilly without really thinking about it, because hey, what if you? do something without paying the right due care and attention to it, get something wrong, and all of a sudden, cancel culture comes into play and you've you've made a mistake. We're humans. We make mistakes. But obviously, when you have that level of audience, you've got to set the right impression because people are very impressionable, people who are watching you. They see what you've done and think, hey, if you've done that, I can do that. I think that's uh, very important. So, for example, the way you drive, the way you talk, people are learning from you. Um, you know, it's an audience of all demographics, all ages, completely global, every country, and that's actually one of the things I really enjoy about it. You know, you say say those numbers, and even still, I hear them, and I'm like, I'm just mind blown. It's absolutely mind blown. These are the sizes of countries. These aren't the sizes of like people watching a TV show, or, or not. You know what I mean? Not like a town or filling a stadium. When it's two and a bit, two and a half million, nearly <clears throat> on YouTube, and uh, over two and a half on Facebook. These are literally populations of established European countries. Um, And it makes you kind of sit back and firstly feel, I feel incredibly honored that so many people are following the content that I enjoy creating because I love what I do and I love being around cars and I love sharing something that's so, I think I can say positive. You know, we car people come together because we love cars and we're all part of the same culture, you know, we're part of the same very passion led industry um, and that's one of my favorite things is that wherever I go whoever I meet whoever I'm talking to instantly get on like a house on fire because we just love it you know we're all in it because we really really love it and it's a it's a world that's changed a lot since I began certainly the type of content I've created has changed a lot I didn't start with a garage full of supercars I, the first videos I made I had a BMW 1 series at the time was the first of my cars I ever showed on my YouTube channel um, and it's been fascinating to watch it evolve and to develop with it. Like I said, to, to appreciate that responsibility that I have on my shoulders and, you know, key topics, for example, as we just discussed the world of EV in the future, you know, that's very important because on the one hand I work with brands and brands now have to sell EVs. So they want me to push EVs. But on the other hand, I love this stuff with engines. Mm. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I've got an EV, I've had an EV or two, I've, you know, this is in many ways the future but it's it's balance it's yeah. how do you balance that and how do we adapt and learn as it changes as it goes forward
0: yeah you just uh, reminded me that I remember another car i believe you had so i've been following you since basically the birth of your your channel or your Thank brand you. uh, certainly within the first year and it was more you know via my business partner and that's how i mm. my former business partner how's got, got to know you i used to identify you as being either in the aston martin vantage which was the this this beautiful color you got in your center i think it was a very similar color yeah yeah literally um also the 12c mclaren yep um which is one of your previous cars but even before then i think or maybe at the same sort of time i mentioned earlier one of my first ever cars was a Citroen saxo vtr i swear you had the car after Citroen saxo which was a vts or vtr
1: no no i didn't have anything like that um uh, my my first ever car was a Renault Clio. Okay, um, but that was obviously prior. Pre- it might have been days. something
0: that you were like. I had jump-
1: an Abarth. I'm trying to think hatchbacky stuff. I never had an. I never had a, a, a Saxo or anything like that. But you're you're right to remember those cars because back at the time of my Vantage, which I had from 2010 to 2012, okay I bought the same car back in 2021, which is really quite cool. Around that time. My content, so I worked in a full-time job back then, I was in an investment consultancy in the city, but my YouTube content, which was very much a hobby, was in the evenings or weekends, to head into you know, other areas of central London to see what nice cars I would see, which is why I probably saw yourself and uh, your former business partner at the time, and how we got to know each other back then. It was just literally with no plan, no idea, no concept of how all of this would work. It was just, I'm gonna film something. But to film something i went everywhere and i loved cars so Mm. you know back then it wasn't a 20 mile an hour zone across the whole of london you 30 some roads were 40 you could enjoy a car a little bit more than you can now yeah um it's funny even how much that's changed but just going around with my aston i would go to every event i could go to every club or drive or tunnel run through the city we used to have a lot of fun with tunnel runs but nowadays there's probably cameras that would just instantly snap you for noise and for uh for anything you might try and do that's fun Um, And just being around, just being around as much as possible, seeing everything. Yeah. Do
0: you know, um, testament to your success, we was in on the Gumball Rally, went from Toronto down to Indianapolis, Indy 500 to watch the race, which I've got to tell you, I mean, I was very naive about the whole Indy 500 race. I thought, oh, maybe it's like a a down version of the Formula One. In actual fact, it was incredible. 350,000 people there. I mean, insane and beautiful hot day as well. Went from there to Nashville, but we stopped over in a place called Barnstown. Now even some of the the Americans even know what it was. I mean, I interviewed Lamont Morris, who is an actor comedian, and even he didn't even know this place. And it was quite obvious to me that when DDE were pulling up, they would be recognized because they're Canadian, very closely linked to America, in their wild car, you know, they're full of energy and stuff. And I, I, I kind of expected that. But then when I was hearing the crowd like call your name and I was actually just observing as a kind of almost a fan myself, like for the gumball yourself and everything else, I was like, this is fucking mad. It's crazy. Like, how does this small little place know me? And I I I know they know you because you're on the internet, but it's still it's still it's still hard for my brain to process it. You know? And they were calling your name and I'm thinking they were treating me like I was royalty, and I'm no one, you know, not because of my profile, because I'm a a South Londoner, I literally had females coming over to me and says, can you talk to me? Because I've never heard anyone from from London before. They were literally <laughs> asking me to talk to them. That's so cliche America, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> so so then when you've got a profile like yours and you're known for what you're good at, it was mind blowing. So uh, do you ever like sort of pinch yourself and say, like, I'm in the middle of kind of nowhere kind of thing and I've got a massive fan base here?
1: I, I mean, I, I have some fabulous stories from around the world of just the random things that have happened off the back of this and it's one of those things like i said that the channel's about to hit a billion views and if you think about that you think about how to to reach it you can't do a billion views from just a uk audience would be impossible to to have covered that much ground means that the content has been watched from around the world and one of the things you can do with your analytics obviously on social media platforms is look at the breakdown from countries and i always to this day find it amazing you know if i look at any country in the world not just the obvious ones not just the uk and the usa and whatnot i can pick out any country filter the analytics look at the numbers and it just makes me go you know just jaw drop how what like how is that possible any country that might have a population of 5 million people probably had 10 million views from there it's kind of that means the average person you know my audience let's be real people into cars who understand technology maybe 15 to 60 ish pretty much just males, so we're talking about a quarter of the population in the world, is the maximum potential target yeah. uh, generalizations. Obviously, there are obviously plenty of anom- anomalies and exceptions. To have received that number of views is crazy, and it's it's amazing to think that so many people in so many places have watched videos that I've uploaded that could be because they're interested in the car that I've filmed. Uh, maybe they're considering buying one. Maybe they're aspiring towards something like that. It could be just that they're following the journey and my experiences that I have with my cars or the event that I'm on, you know, a motor show or a rally or, a, or whatever it could be. And I find it truly unbelievable how far the audience extends but the community extends. You know, I, I feel so lucky that when I've travelled to places that I've never been before... It, it could be Sydney and Melbourne it could be Lima Peru anywhere I've gone I've instantly connected with people through cars through videos through having built this audience and it makes the world feel like a very very close place mm. a very close familial place and that's probably one of my like biggest takeaways is you know literally arriving at hotels in random places across the world and you know, the the chap at the ballet outside will be ah oh, hey Shmi it's amazing to see you here and I'm like that's not what I expected but how cool is this um, and you know I've, I've yeah I, I I can't even begin one one day I feel like I need to write a book of everything that's happened and just you look back yeah. at it myself and be like how was that possible because twelve and a bit years but I think I've done more in those twelve and a bit years than I should have done in my whole like career lifetime mm. it's just been compressed. Just bang, go, 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 go. Um, I think Gumball's the best example of this. The things you do in the week of Gumball, the amount of places you go, the amount of people you see, the amount of different experiences you have, it feels like that should have taken months. It doesn't feel like that should happen in a week. Yeah. You know, literally, one day we're riding in NASCARs at Talladega Super Speedway. The next day we're kicking footballs at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Stadium. The next day we're having lunch at Key West. You know what i mean like those aren't things you should do on consecutive days mm. those are things that should be on separate holidays mm. yeah <laughs> and they all just <laughs> happen together um i feel like that's kind of been the speed of my life through the youtube channel which don't get me wrong it's amazing but it's it's one i need to look back at at some point and be like how did this happen <laughs> yeah. Yeah. how did all of this come together yeah yeah yeah
0: um so you're a success
1: What makes
0: you a success? I'm looking at your channel, looking at you, looking at the cars and I break it down to three things and you could probably either agree or probably add to it or even take something away. It's gonna be number one, your personality. It's gonna be two, the assets, which is the car. And I think three is your relentless hard work. Is that it or is
1: there more to it? Um, I, I think that's an, an element of it. So just to touch on those topics, the personality one I've always found quite interesting because when you create content online, you can't choose whether the audience likes you. You can do things, you can, you can make them dislike you, but you can't choose to make people like you. Um, whether your channel is going to build up an audience requires that just because of how things work, same with presenters on TV and the same with radio and whatever else being a person that people enjoy listening to or engage with in some form Um, obviously you can do media training and that kind of stuff but that's a a side topic Um, you know i never had any background like that Um, i just did what i enjoy which has always been to be very factual nerdy and detailed about cars. and you know i guess i'm I'm lucky that people quite like watching that. so from the personality point of view i think it's very important you can't make you can't necessarily make it happen Exceptions, obviously, but generally speaking, that either works or it doesn't work. Number two, the assets. I worked out from a very early stage in in the YouTube world that being able to share experiences that people aspired to was a fantastic way to create traffic and grow the business. So if we rewind back, I bought my Aston Vantage when I was not yet earning any money from anything that I was doing. YouTube partner, the YouTube partner program existed, but I hadn't yet been able to join it. Um, I just had a good job and I was a young 20s male and decided to stupidly put down a deposit and finance an Aston because (laughs) why not? Mm. But it was when I started sharing videos of taking it down to the south of France and back or across to Paris for a weekend or something like that, I quickly saw that people loved that kind of content because nobody else with a vehicle like that would share it. Ten years ago, it's very different now. Everybody with an Aston Martin now will have an Instagram page, right? But 10 years ago, zero. I was pretty much alone. So I've I've heavily pivoted the content around being able to get into those positions and share the ownership of a car. So I think the best example of that was actually when I bought my McLaren MP412C in January 2014. So my platforms were already earning me a little bit, probably not enough to buy a McLaren, um, but enough that I was setting that as the goal. Uh, I was heading towards being a full-time YouTuber. That phrase didn't exist at the time, which is also funny. YouTuber, influencer, those were not phrases people used eight years ago. Um, And I I financed into my my 12C and I can tell you now I put £25,000 down and I was paying, I think, about £1,100 a month, which was a huge amount of money and I wasn't earning a whole lot more and and I basically had spent the vast majority of what I had. (laughs) Like, I did not have much money left after that. But that was my both mixture of Business decision because I figured I could make content with the up-and-coming McLaren brand. They'd only made 1,000 cars at this point. Small company, lots of interest. They're the you know the rival to Ferrari and Lamborghini. They're a new player in the market. Lots of tech. McLaren cars, very heavy level of engineering, Formula One technology in a road car. So appealed to me as a tech guy. Um, so I figured you know I'm going to give this a go and see what happens. And fortunately, it worked at the time. You know, no content about McLarens. If people wanted to find out about McLarens they often came to my videos. Um, obviously, since then, the collection, the assets have expanded. I have a lot of more cars in the collection now. It's over 20 cars. And I've got a big diversity of brands, types of car. I mean, I have a bias because I love track spec supercars, mm. but I have a variety of manufacturers. And I've owned cars from the vast majority of manufacturers now as ways of exploring content, as ways of creating different storylines, as ways of creating something that will appeal to different people. Um, you know, even now we have a, a separate channel for the museum, for my garage, which is more of behind-the-scenes vlog of the build of the garage, the maintenance of the cars, but also picking up some new styles of cars, some older stuff, some stuff that's been you know of interest to me from my childhood that wouldn't necessarily feature under living the supercar dream um, in the uh, you know in the, in the main channel, in the main platform. So assets have been a very big part of it. But i think it's key to know that i didn't start with the assets you know i didn't have a supercar from day one um my first videos on my channel were actually when i owned my renault clio the first videos i shared of my car was when i had my one series and then i had an audi s5 after that so that featured once or twice but it was really from the aston martin and you know i worked out that this is something people are interested in treated it like a business and There's a a very fascinating crossover between people who make videos, most are very creative individuals, but you don't find many people who are very creative, but also very business savvy. It it tends to be a different type of person. The mathematical calculating person is not your artistic type person, generally. And I think I'm a bit creative, but very into the business. I love the business. I love the numbers. I love the analytics. I worked in in finance, so obviously. Um, and so it was being able to tie those together and understanding what was happening and also interpret the, demo, the demographics and the traffic and the information that YouTube's analytics gave me to be able to make the decisions. Um, you know, so I know, for example, that my biggest view videos are always Lamborghinis, but I never owned a Lamborghini. Now I own a Lamborghini. It doesn't take a genius to kind of work out what the ethos or the idea behind that is to begin. Um, where were we? Personalities, assets. Hard work. Hard work. Hard work is something you can never underestimate. And we were talking about this. I, I think there's, it's something that's instilled into you from a young age. You know, if you're, it, it, how do I describe this? From, from the people I know in my space, in the, in the social media space, who have built up millions of followers, nobody got there overnight. Everybody put in years and years of work that nobody saw. And it often came from, previous experiences in their lifetimes whether that was when they were a child whether it was when they were growing up whether it was when they're early in the working world whether their careers had had developed and they were looking at other people around them being inspired by something but you realize that it's always the same it's that relentless push to achieve something it's not just going to fall into place and happen for you you need to go out and make it happen if somebody says you know if you're if you have an idea of you know let's say even in the early days for me is as my business and YouTube channel one day, I'd like to own a Ferrari kind of thing as a teenager. That was certainly my my goal in a way. It's how do you make that happen? It's not, it's not the kind of, oh, that's never gonna happen for me, you know, and just push it away. It's the, what do I need to do to one day own a car like that? Yeah. Um, and it's the same with running even the YouTube channel. There have been times in the earlier days of my channel where I would go nights without sleeping just to film a video. You know, if you're working for someone else, you're never going to put in that effort. You're never going to do it. But there were times when I, I I, can tell you one specific night, I was led to believe the Lamborghini Sesto Elemento, which was a very exclusive track only version of the Gallardo.
0: I'm telling you, if I had a choice to have free cars. Is that on your? One hundred percent. So I let me it. tell you the story. It's it, got the, the scoops in the bonnet, right? Yep, less yeah. than a
1: thousand kilos, crazy it's, thing.
0: It's uh, the seats are actually blended into the chassis.
1: Yep, they did everything. This was launched, I want to say around 2010. Top gear,
0: best track performer at one stage?
1: Yes, uh, it was kind of Lamborghini demonstrating what carbon fibre could do. Sesto elemento means sixth element, carbon being a sixth element. Anyway, I heard that the car was coming to HRO in Lamborghini South Kensington, the Lambo showroom. So I heard the car was going to be there. Um, and obviously I wanted to film a video of it being unloaded and delivered to the showroom. So I came to the showroom when I, led, it was, when I was told it was supposed to be there in the afternoon. Um, I had tidbits of information from different sources. Car didn't turn up into the evening. Oh, it's coming later, stayed in the evening. Oh, it's coming in the middle of the night so no one sees it, stays into the middle of the night. Oh, it's coming in first thing in the morning. So it's still not seen by anybody, stayed there until first thing in the morning. Oh, it's coming in the mid morning. Oh, it's coming at lunchtime. I stayed on the street outside for a full 24 hours to film that car arriving. It ended up being 26, 27 hours in December at zero degrees Celsius because I wanted that video. And I think that I look back at that day myself and it reminds me that if you want something, you gotta fight for it and you, you know, don't give up. Because if you give up, you can't reach the next level of success. You need to put in the hours, you need to put in the work. And that's rewarded for me because that video has done many millions of views. It's powerful, millions of
0: views. Powerful, powerful life lesson. That business and lesson as well.
1: It's. I know it's an extreme example because what idiot stays out overnight on the streets of London at zero degrees to film a, a YouTube video? But it was the determination that I wanted to film that car. It was the determination that no one else was going to do it for me. You know, and I and I knew it would be a newsworthy topic of the car being delivered. Um, and while I've never done, you know, while I wouldn't necessarily choose to do exactly that again. I always like to put in the extra mile, the extra bit of hard work to to do something, to to make it, you know, to make what I want happen. You know, if I've got an idea for how I'd like a video to, to be, even if it might take me ages longer to do it the perfect way than the cop out way, I'll still do it if I can, if it's physically possible. If I can go to an event I'm invited to, or if I can drive a car, or if I can do something. If I can get there, I'm gonna make it happen, basically. That's how I try and live.
0: You mentioned about having goals as well, and I really like what you said there about, it's not a question of if I'm gonna get there, I've just gotta find out how. Yeah. And I think it comes down to two mindsets. You've either got a limiting belief, which is, I can't do this because I'm this age. I can't do this because I'm this gender. I can't do this because I'm this race, or I can't do this because of my financial background. Or there's a optimistic kind of resourceful mindset, which is, doesn't matter what background I come from, if I want that, I'm gonna find a route to get there. Yeah. And I think any entrepreneur, whether you're going down the YouTube route, whether you're gonna go down my route, which is art dealing, um, you know, gallery space or property or something like that, you've got to have that mindset. And then on top of that, you've got to work freaking hard to get there. So, question I was gonna ask you about that, which you probably heard in the Damien podcast, and it's weird. JWW, Mr. JWW, I interviewed him first and I interviewed later on in my hotel suite, Damon from DDE. They both said exactly the same thing without speaking to each other, and you're going to probably agree with them, is if you want to make it, certainly in the YouTube world, you've got to be posting quantity. Yes. And they both said to me, I do a podcast a week, right? And I've been doing it for nearly four years. September is going to be my fourth year, okay? And now I've realised if I really want to become a success, I need to start stepping on the the, the gas. Excuse the pun, and um, three times a week. Okay. So with you, you've mentioned about five thousand videos, I think, on, okay. on YouTube. Like, when did you step out from like casually doing it to really giving it everything you got?
1: So it actually happened in the really early stages because videos have changed their format over time. What worked on YouTube back in the early 2010s, was actually 30-second clips. So I would go out for a day, um, and in that day, I would film a bunch of clips of cars driving past. And often cars that go into central London do loops. You see them five times if you're on foot looking for them. So I would make montages of the cars. So I would film in a day a whole series of three to five videos. But I was always on that kind of one-a-day type mentality from the beginning. So... I've never, let's say, stepped up the quantity of content, but I've always tried to be very consistent. And I think the longest gap I've had without a video on my platforms since I began is about three days. It's it's really been, you know, nonstop all the way through, and it's literally more than 5,000 videos in less than 5,000 days. Um, and even now, but it's changed because now I have a couple of different platforms we're sharing you know, content across everywhere. Um, We have, obviously, as you mentioned earlier, the Shmi on 50 pages on each of YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. But we also have pages just for my cars, pages just for the garage, pages just for watches I talk about from time to time. Um, So it ends up being a massive amount of content that we're sharing. It's not just quantity, because if you purely focus on quantity and forget to the quality angle at all the audience can see what you're doing yeah um, but there's a balance if you go too far towards quality the problem is you end up putting in too much time for very little benefit if we're being you know hardcore from the business perspective behind it you will get if if you can get 90% of the traffic with 10% of the work that is much better than putting in another 90% of the work to get that extra 10% of the traffic, right? Mm. It's much better to, to do 10 times the 90% mm. than one times 100% effort for only a tiny bit more.
0: And and would you agree with me when I say that you're gonna know about this far better than I will, but I feel like the way the audience with a lot of these things now have a, has evolved is back in the day, they wanted film quality. They wanted it to be very, very good. Now, I'm not saying you don't have a shit production, but, they like kind of the rawness behind the scenes stuff because they can relate to it a bit more.
1: Do you agree with that? 100%. So throughout the whole of time, I have kept everything that I've shot in a way that not only is the type of content shared in a way that the person viewing it feels they could be there, they could Mm. be living that experience, but also the way I shoot it is the person watching could create that video. So I'm very careful, you'll see this in my videos now, that nothing is over the top in terms of the editing, in terms of the equipment used, it's all home cameras, it's all easy stuff. Because I feel that that creates an engagement with your viewer where that person feels literally they could do that. They could be there, drive that car, live that experience. No, I'm not trying to drift a car at Mach 10 around a race circuit because the person can't do that yeah. filmed in hyper slow mo on a 4K camera because nobody watching that can do that. And I'm not saying there isn't a space for that kind of content. It's just not my space. My space is content that is super engageable and super relatable from the viewer. And it's easy to argue that, you know, a garage of these cars isn't relatable. And I, I certainly appreciate that side of it as well. But what I do with the cars certainly is. You know, I, I consider myself... I think even now, if I can say this, a fairly normal person who just happens to have a whole, a whole load of these silly things. Yeah. You know, I, I live a, outside of the cars. I don't do anything in a particularly crazy way. Um, that is, for me, everything. Cars are everything. Um, and I think that, you know, you find a balance. But I toyed around. And like I said, I've always been very analytical. Back in around 2017, 2018 was the period where the quality of videos on YouTube was really stepping up. Um, the way people were shooting, the equipment, the behind the scenes, the B-roll, the music, the editing was all really becoming quite high end. I tried in a few of my videos at the time to incorporate elements of that, you know, to have 30 seconds of me talking followed by a minute of some nice editing of the car I'm filming. But what I would see consistently in the statistics, every single time without fail, YouTube gives you a retention chart of what percentage of your audience are watching that part of the video. It would go along, the music would start, it would drop off, music would end, it would come back again. People didn't wanna see it. I didn't decided to stop doing it. And I think that's one of the most important things is to understand the data and to use it. Um, You can have gut feeling and gut feeling is certainly important as well because if you listen to what your audience tell you, you're listening to your hardcore 5%, you're not listening to the masses. So you certainly need to take on board the feedback you're getting. But nothing speaks more than data, and the, and the and the analytics and the metrics and the statistics behind it, and you can glean so many things. For example, this might be logical: a new James Bond film comes out, upload a whole load of Aston Martin videos, because in that week people are looking for the Bond cars and Omega watches. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. like it's it's such a let's say an obvious thing, both because the traffic is there, the audience are looking for it but also brands are sponsoring content. Brands are putting out adverts with higher paid keywords against anything to do with James Bond. So film a Bond car. You know, it's, it's like, it's, it's obvious, isn't it, to say yeah. it like that. But yeah. Most people don't think of it like that. So I've always had a very um, business approach to all of this. And it's actually quite funny. My, my, my dad often references it this way. He says that um, while, he, obviously I, while I obviously do like cars, a big part of it for me is that cars have been the gateway to be able to create a business. Mm. They've been a way for me to be able to enjoy being part of growing something. You know, I think one of the most surreal things is when you have employees who are buying their own cars and things working for you. And when you're reaching into areas where other people are part of it. You know, I love signing a contract with a brand or something like that. Being the business side is as much and seeing yeah. success of the numbers on the traffic yeah. is is a really big like a big driver. It's mm-hmm. a big kind of yeah. We can do this. Let's let's it's go. A feel good factor. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah.
0: And it's validation that you're doing something great. As I mentioned, I've got my first brand sort of deal yeah. coming up and. Listen, there's no big money involved, and I'm you know, so far, my podcast has cost me way more than, than, <laughs> than I ever thought it was going to do. But I do believe that I will monetize it in, in the future, and again, I don't necessarily need the money because my property business and my art business is still yep. funding fun, fun me, and I could have a good lifestyle off the back end of that. But the reason why I feel that monetization is important because it validates that your channel, what you're doing, is working. On that note. I'm gonna step into my dad's body again now, right? This is not me, (laughs) this is my dad asking you a question, right? You're successful. You've clearly got business heads. You're clearly good at what you do. You clearly impact people. There's a lot of good things that come with what you do. Downside, the business idea of running a YouTube channel as big as your one is, the biggest risk if I was an investor into your channel is actually you. Because if you become sick, if you are on eight or you lose your voice, uh, you couldn't drive cars anymore, or worse still, you, you passed away, you died. God forbid that ever happened, touch me, that never happens. You know, what happens at that point, because you mentioned earlier that there's probably lots of other successful businesses. This is a gateway, right? It's a gateway yeah. into many other things. But how can you pursue them if you're stapled face down
1: into your, your YouTube channel? It's very, very difficult. So it's not the best business model. It's a really, really interesting topic. And it's one that we talk about at length, actually. My, my dad talks about quite often with me and, and I talk about even internally with my team is is that struggle of how the Shmi 150 business is me. Um, I tried and experimented in the past with having guest presenters on my main channel. No success. The audience just didn't engage with it because if they click a video that says Shmi 150, they're waiting for me to be there, right? Um, and the problem, as you said, is that kind of thing. Now, probably three years ago, I uh, did find myself in hospital from a silly accident, and it did mean that I was out of action for a week or two. And it taught me a lesson that I was actually already on the ball with, that I pre-shoot content. I always have spare videos. So short-term problems, have, I have a backup. And even, and perhaps the best example of this was the start of the pandemic. In February 2020, when I realized what was happening and I could see the start of travel restrictions going to be difficult, I was like, my business is gonna fail if I can't go places. So I went overdrive and I filmed 30 videos, 40 videos in the bank so that when everything hit, I had you know six weeks of, of videos still to flow. And I've taken that on from there and uh, some things go out same day or next day, some things, no time pressure on them delay. But there is always the fear, like you say, of what happens if I caught COVID, for example, and obviously like everyone else did at some point and had a two-week quarantine, but I had videos going out so nobody would ever have known about when it was. Um, What happens though if something worse happens? And that's one of the reasons behind starting the Schmuseum channel, which is more of behind the scenes with uh, some of the guys that I employ or some of the people part of my team. Um, Tom, my garage manager, Brad, my uh, social media manager. Um, but also the others involved you know the business and other stuff have all been on the channel and that's an opportunity that you know the content and the videos about the cars can continue without me if something came up but the reality is as you said is that if you're smart about it when you've built up an audience you have a highly engaged audience many of whom want to support you and it's such a privilege to be in that position is that you can step into other businesses and other things mm. and a number of people will come along for that journey yeah. with you. Um, and that's been really fun to, to see a little bit of. I've had a couple of things that I've talked about in public. I do have a couple of things that I'm involved with now behind the scenes that for the time being at least, I'm keeping Shmi Fifty disconnected from. There might become a time when I do step in, but just through the people that I've met around the world and the people, the opportunities that have come up along the way, it's been a no-brainer to, to bring some of my knowledge and experience, certainly of marketing, of social media, of the automotive world into that, um, to be able to try and grow something. And you know, I don't see, if I can say this, Shmee 150 as a forever thing. Um, if I wound back to maybe 2015, I don't think I thought it would still be going in 2020. I thought it would have a shorter lifespan than that in connection with social media in general. The fact that it is still going and going from strength to strength is totally surreal. But you know, as a as an individual, as a human being, the pace at which I go, you know, I'm frequently on the road, staying in a different hotel every night for five weeks. Like that's not manageable forever from a family point of view. If I ever want to have kids, you know, I can't do it. Um, it's not going to be possible. So I have to look for what is going to be the next step, what is going to be the next plan. And like I said, I have a few things in the works. And it's a case of waiting to see which is the most likely to pick up, which is the right route to go, and to, to shift a little bit of focus, mm. you know, to make things to go down a slightly different path. Mm. And I don't know what that's going to be. We have to be fluid.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I've always been taught through books, listening to podcasts, audio books, entrepreneurs, friends, family, etc. You know, you could be earning all the money in the world, but at the end of the day, if your business, you you know, the business relies on you and vice versa, it's not really a business, it's not my words glorified self-employed kind of role and the only way you could be a proper business person is step out of it for a year and if it's still running and probably growing that's a true true business but at the same breath if you were a Beyonce if you were a Ed Sheeran if you were you know these are people without their own talent their own you know songs delivering their songs singing rapping etc that would also fail because people yeah. go if you went to an Ed Sheeran concert and another ginger guy got on there so it I wasn't I Ed, yeah. who actually sounded exactly the same the whole audience would boom and, and walk yeah. out even if it the it's co- the same content same with
1: football players yeah. or with any sports or, or entertainment industry um, you know I've actually long been jealous of some of my contemporaries in the YouTube space the likes of Vin Wiki, for example Ed Bolian he is is the face of the channel, but many of his videos, he doesn't feature within. So for example, that's a business, as you say, that has significant value, even if he's not part of it. Mm. Whereas my business, if you overnight cut me and put someone else on, people would watch it like, What's going they, they might over time adapt to it, but it would never be where it was.
0: And it's a risk for you to take,
1: you know yes. doing that. Yes, so it's, it's a big balancing act, you know, but I think also in the YouTube space, Aside from if something catastrophic happened overnight, I have the option to control the amount of content I feed. You know, if I decide to slow down and only upload on Shmeon fifty two videos a week, I can. You know, I can choose and therefore dictate the effectively the income that's coming in because that's going to be linked to the content I'm making. So it gives me some freedom to devote my resources, not on a like binary, you know, one or zero, mm-hmm. it's all on or all off, but on a sliding scale of what I want to put where. How yep. I want to do it. So, like I say, you know, I've got some things that are starting to pick up the hours a week that they need. Um, and I hope it's only a case of time until I can introduce them more to the Shmuel 50 audience and say, hey guys, this is what I've been working on for the last two years. Would love it if you come along on this with me. And fingers crossed. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, something we spoke about off air. I'm going to ask you this question. <laughs> Reason why is because I'll tell you why I'm asking this. One, I'm interested, and I'm a bit of a nosy bugger myself, and two, (laughs) there are people that want to get into your space, or maybe not in your space, they're just entrepreneurs, And, and you know like when you say that person is a successful entrepreneur, well, how do you know? Is it the way they dress? Is it where they go? Is it the way they sound? The one easy thing to measure is finances, right, or their assets. So also, this other question pivots into what is real and what is artificial. Now, I know you're gonna you have your own answer, but I just wanted to ask you this. So according to this publication called Net Worth Spot, July the 1st of this year, 2022, they said your net worth was $1.1 $1. 1 million. Now I'm thinking that <laughs> it must be the lowly, most load of bollocks I've ever read because surely that is way off the pace. Then I read this other one from Buzz from the 14th of February, 2022, this year. And this is 20 million dollars and i thought that's probably a bit more accurate which one's true
1: True answer is somewhere in the middle all right it, uh, the, the first one is actually quite funny i think because if you add up all of the cars i can't tell you exact numbers but it would be including the Zenvo, which is imminent it would be six million pounds seven million dollars that kind of range so if I had a net worth of $1.1 million, I would be financed heavily. <laughs> that would be unfriendly. Yeah. <laughs> Truth is, I have much more equity across my fleet. I have some finance, obviously, on some of the cars, and some are outright, etc. Um, but it's what you have to think is, for me, and the way I'm running the Schmiel 50 business, the cars are effectively the equipment, the machinery. So if we said this wasn't a garage, but this is a clothing manufacturing facility, I would have to buy the textile machinery, the sewing machines or whatever, you know, all of that equipment. That is what the cars are for me. So I have a completely skewed bias into cars than somebody should have in my position. And certainly the advice I get from my family mm. is spend less money on cars, invest it more sensibly. But the reality is cars bring storylines, bring content, generate more revenue, grow the business, employ more people, brings in more, you know, it's a whole, it's a whole big picture. Um, whereas the reality is somebody who has this value of cars in a traditional sense would have 50 million in the bank, right? Because you wouldn't, who would spend this much money on toys? Um, So it's somewhere in the middle. I I don't even know an exact number off off, off my head, Mm. but having been in this space for a very long time and, you know, it's very easy for people to say, hey, you know, I'm looking at a social media influencer. How much money do they make? Oh, how many views do they get on YouTube? What does Social Blade say they make? Oh, that must be the number. But the reality is, like any entrepreneur, your fingers are in so many pies. There's not only YouTube income, but for me, Facebook is huge. I do a lot of views through Facebook, across my pages. Um, and then beyond that, there's merchandise consultancing, brand deals, um, affiliate things behind the scenes, About introductions.
0: Like pay to show up and stuff. You yes, know.
1: lots of this kind of thing. There's so much to it. You couldn't say, yeah, it's just that it's a it's a it's a whole big pie, and obviously I have incredibly high expenses. Um, anything to do with property and the the finance and insurance on the cars, insurance on my cars alone is a massive sum of money, and employees. But that's I think one of the most I think rewarding things is you hire an employee, they come join your team, get in the flow, and they help alleviate some time off your plate while you can go create other things.
0: Can I ask a question? Not about your income revenue, mm-hmm. okay? That might be a bit intrusive, but I'm actually more interested as a business person to know your burn rate. How much? How much is the burn rate? How much every month have you got to cover? <laughs> tens of thousands, without giving an exact number. Wow, tens incredible. of thousands. Right, so. Actually this is a this is a thing that I didn't write down but I think it's something that we touched upon. The misconceptions about entrepreneurs, YouTubers, but a misconception about you directly. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually had people come over to me and say, part of the reason some people are a bit softer, they go, Oh, part of the reason why he's successful is because of X, Y, Z. Some people are absolutely way off the pace and they go, The only reason why he's successful and then they come up with this scenario. A common one is your dad funded you and gave you like a million, two
1: million. I've heard all kinds of numbers. Um, true or false? I mean, completely false. My dad does not agree with the number of cars I buy, full stop. So I I, I grew up for, with a good background. We lived in a nice house. My parents always had like an M car or an AMG car or something nice, good holidays, et cetera. And I went to a public school. But I think what that gave me was through the people i met and you know family friends and whatnot was actually the drive i think the best thing that my parents gave me was a drive for success and a determination to go and do it i've never had like a loan or been given money to buy cars my dad full stop my dad has never bought me a car like that that's stupid um and as i said when i started my youtube channel i had my i started when i was a teenager i was trading online so i was selling stuff on ebay from 14 which was against the terms and conditions, sorry, eBay, <laughs> but I did it. And then when I was 16-ish, I expanded that a lot and I was selling all sorts of things for my friends at school, old mobile phones, stuff like that. When I was 18, I started importing things more professionally. Um, I had my import license, license to you know, get through customs and stuff and I was buying effectively the latest technology, mobile phones and cameras from Hong Kong, uh, Japan, importing into the UK. When I then opened up, I effectively took a part of a shop on Tottenham Court Road. So I was selling electronics through that, um, and that none of this was ever like earning me bazillions, but it was always earning enough for the next step. Mm-hmm. So I bought myself my Renault Clio when I was 17. Uh, when I was 21, I upgraded to my One Series that I bought bought new from yeah. the dealer, um, and that was then when I discovered finance. So I financed into my Audi S5, and then work was going well because I was working in an investment consultancy, and you know the city culture and bonuses and things had a good period. Bought the Aston Martin. Um, it's kind of, I don't know how to explain it. It's like, it's easy to look in from the outside and say, oh, you know, when you're buying an Aston Martin as a 20, what I mean, 23, something like that. You know, it must have been given to me, that kind of thing. But the the, the reality is when you look at it like that, and especially when you're working in a city job as a 23-year-old living on your own in a rented flat in London, very few other expenses, because every evening I was out on my bicycle filming cars. I didn't really have many expenses in the world. So it was kind of like, right, I'm going to buy a car. Um, a good credit history of, you know, never missed a credit card payment or anything like that. So it was quite easy to get finance um, in a stable job. Um, and it's been the same all the way through. I mean, I've been very lucky in many ways of the specific career path that I've had because it's not something easily replicatable. I did a, basically I dropped out of uni, did a, um, uh, an internship, was going to go back to uni, ended up in a full-time employment role, stayed in that my boss was super supportive absolute legend Um, and they basically made it possible that i could take time off whenever i wanted it to go make youtube videos and to lower my working days in the week which is almost an unheard of city job to work in the city of london in a role where i could go down if i wanted one week just take some days off to go and film videos for my youtube channel like uh, people often ask how do they do what i did and you can't Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's not going to happen again. I got super, super lucky. Really, really, uh, the co-director, co-founder of the company was a car guy. who is a car guy as well. We still talk um, also. Um, So that kind of supported and made all of that possible. And it's those things together that have added up to make it possible. But at the end of the day, YouTube started, you know, I started doing, I think I was probably doing a million views a month already in 2012, if not more. And while it was nothing like the revenue it is now, it's already a couple, let's say by 2013, 2014, it's already a few thousand a month. A few thousand a month supported by a full-time job. It's pretty obvious to see how that kind of made it possible. And then it's kind of all grown from there over time. And I've heard every single rumour, idea under the sun. Sure. I mean,
0: I've written down a few things that you said like, on your website, which you've never said, but you've kind of joked about it, which is, drug dealer, bank robber, <laughs> Yes, you know, uh, yes. you would probably get a response if you said something like that.
1: Well, the, the the thing is, I've had people saying, you know, oh, I must be a billionaire from this, that and the other and whatever else. Truth is, my dad had a, a successful career. He was a, an accountant, worked for a big company, had a very senior role. And hence how I guess I, you know, was lucky enough to have a good upbringing. But I never had like money just spoon fed to me. Mm. I've never had money saying, here, go do this, go do that. What I had was a taste of it from what i was around that made me say right as we were saying earlier what do i need to do to go and make this happen you know what do i need to do to go out and and make something i can tell you as a 23 year old buying an aston martin my dad was like this is a bad idea like full-on this is a bad idea and then when it got to buying multiple supercars like this is a really bad idea (laughs) but yeah
0: um very different conversation but just wanted to ask you because I found this really interesting you were once a ski instructor which yeah. kind of sort of doesn't fall into the, 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 <laughs> the, the public perception I have about you which is interesting in New Zealand out of all places but the thing I want to ask you about is your accident
1: ski accident you had an accident right? yeah pretty bad one
0: tell, tell me about it
1: so skiing was always a passion like I said I was lucky to go on nice holidays and skiing was one of them um, and after I'd run my shop I actually had an opportunity to basically step out of it in a very easy way. Mm. Um, somebody got
0: bought out, did you? While, you?
1: Some, well, somebody came and kind of just took over, took over all my contracts, took over okay. all my stock, and I was like, right, I'm off. because I'm a 19-year-old, right? I'm young and stupid. Mm. I made a little bit of money. It's like, right, off I go. So I went to France for a while to be a ski instructor um, to train, and then I went to teach in the Southern Hemisphere. And this was all around the time when I was kind of unsure about uni because after you've run a business going to uni, I mean, it's not for everyone. It wasn't for me. Um, you know, I'd been in the working world and all of a sudden I was paying for education. Like, I don't need this. I've done it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that simple for everyone. Um, so I went and did that for a while. And I actually tried at the time to constantly think, like, how could I make a video blog around skiing or how could I do a podcast in the ski world? Because there was a podcast I followed at the time called Snowfix and you Olsen, who's done gumble quite a few times, um, pro freestyle skier. Um, I met for the first time in my skiing role before mm-hmm. knowing him in the car world. Also on YouTube with millions of subscribers and also has done quite a few Gumball 3000s. Um, so skiing was always like, a, how can I monetize this? But ski instructing is fun, but you kind of cover what it costs you to live there. You're not, you're not walking away with anything at the end of it. Um, and went on for a while. But like everybody who gets into the ski world, do you, do you ski yourself? Have you ever been? Uh, yeah,
0: uh, I can't say I'm a skier because it's been such a long time and I'll probably get on the slope and fall over <laughs> and look like an embarrassment. But I, I feel like I can still ski.
1: Well, I, um, you know, I, after, after doing it a lot and getting into doing flips and silly stuff in the air, eventually got it wrong. Um, and I actually broke three vertebrae. So I Jesus. broke three of my lower vertebrae, which uh, was a moderately terrifying experience because um, it was the last last run through the snow park in Val d'Azur in France before lunch, Yeah, and it was like, you know, just one more, go for it, you know, it'll be fine, whatever, did a, did a jump, ended up messing it up, way overshot the landing, came down hard on my back, and the next thing I know is I'm lying on the ground and I can't move. Like, literally can't move. People came over to me and, you know, they were trying to sit me up and I was like, I can't. Like, I just, I can't. Um, so I got super lucky because, and I speak a bit of French, so I could understand what everybody around me was saying. Um, but obviously immediately into hospital. I spent a week in hospitals in France. I was in a full, like, full body cast for a while and I couldn't move at all for a few days. Um, I think that could very easily have gone in two directions. You know, I could clearly have ended up not being able to walk properly again or, or, something or something really bad. Yeah. Um, I'm very lucky that the only knock-on effect I have actually is when I go out in really hardcore cars I get a sore back after about 15 minutes right. so Aventadors for me are a disaster I get a really bad back in Aventadors so is that Senna? Center? the Senna's not too bad McLaren's okay. suspension it, it's I can't tell you the formula for what makes it really bad and what not it's some 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 are fine some are terrible just terrible <laughs> and not what you would expect like amg performance seats so the regular seats that you get in the amg gtr for example not the bucket seat are really bad for me no specific rule for it um, anyway that brought a fairly abrupt end to my let's say constant skiing I, I still ski obviously a couple of weeks a year after that but it was never going to be a career again after that because after a couple of days i need to take a day off i'm, I'm done um but i think you know i've had these different careers with very different experiences from selling stuff online and opening a shop to going to be a ski instructor to falling then as i said back into an internship that led to me working full time in investment consultancy to now working in the social media world and all the youtube videos to now setting up other businesses behind the scenes completely different careers and i get a lot of people asking me you know what what course should i pick at university for what career I'd like to have and I don't think it matters is the long story short because I had no idea when I was 18 what I would be doing in my 30s Mm. absolutely no idea Mm. this genre didn't exist Mm. the social media world YouTube didn't exist at the time I was picking what I would do at university
0: yeah yeah you hear it all the time about having goals I think that's important and having a clear strategy I do agree with that to a degree but I also believe that your strategy is probably not going to be exactly how you planned. You're gonna to have to evolve it, pivot, dovetail, and you have to going to go just sort of separate direction. It's very much like when I was trying to get here. There's a couple of roads blocked off, doesn't mean I'll, Tim, I can't make it today. You just find another way to get yeah. to your destination. And I do, I do agree with you, sometimes you don't have to go down the conventional route, there could be something else and it can lead you to your ultimate goal. So I wanna just talk a couple more things because I'm, I'm very aware about your time. I know you've got no, stuff, stuff stuff, to do. So current cars, I'm not going to name them all, but McLaren <laughs> Senna, one of my favorites. I'm naming my favorites out of your cars Go right for now. Ford GT, and I really want to have a sit in these couple of cars before I leave. Lamborghini Huracan STO, and then your past cars are Aston Martin uh, Vantage, which you actually got back, uh, Ferrari FF, uh, McLaren 12C Coupe, which I rem- re- used to remember you in. But what I want to talk to you about is your first hypercar that you're about to acquire or start driving and making some content with uh, Zenvo tsr s 1177 brake horsepower i mean whether what what i mean I, I, I'm, I'm a bit lost <laughs> you know forward, know it's words.
1: it's actually even more horsepower than that that's the crazy thing i mean i so. mean like mental It's completely mental. So Zenvo is a small Danish manufacturer. They've been around the scene for a while. Um, 10 years ago or so, they made their first ever car. Um, Haven't sold cars in huge numbers, only building a couple a year. But I've known the company for a while, and I've known lots of the staff there. And I've been really interested by what they're doing, the engineering behind the cars. It's all in-house. It's a stupidly brutal looking thing, stupidly powerful thing. Um, it's 1,177 horsepower on regular fuel you'll get at the tank, at the, the petrol station. It actually, if you put E85 into it, it's 1,360. Wow. 1, it makes that much difference. 1,360 horsepower. Jesus. Yeah. Um, so is it's, it rear-wheel? Rear-driven. It's, it's absurd. And it's everything a car like that should be because it's emotional. It's like an Aventador on steroids. If you think an Aventador is crazy, it's like even more because it's even more power, even more noise, even more aggressiveness even more just everything Um, and this opportunity came along talking with them over a period of time to do more than just buying a car you know when you buy when you spend this much money on a car you know it's a seven-figure car it's a lot of money it's not like okay i'm sure there are some people for whom it's just go for it but for me that's big that's really like i (laughs) am i'm committing here Um, can we know the figure yeah it's just over one and a half million pounds yeah So you're about $2 million, for example. Legend. (laughs) That's inspiring. It's a lot of money to spend on a single asset. Um, But it's more than just the car. It's the belief in the company. It's working with the company. It's being part of them all the way through. Like I laid some of the pre-preg fabric carbon fibre into the moulds for the wheels that are on my car and signed on the back of them. I was there when some of the components were going into it, seeing the car at various stages. I went to the factory maybe seven or eight times throughout the process. And then after delivery, it's going to be being involved with them, taking the car to so many events they want to go to, being part of it, going to places around the world with, with my car. So it's this whole, I believe in them as a company. They've got some really exciting things in the works. And you know they're showing to invited customers their next car. And it's phenomenal. I can't, <laughs> I can't say too much. But I wanted to be part of that whole journey. And it's already so exciting Like to see. To be with them, to be with them through it. So it's a big, big step for me. Um, It's a very unusual choice because it's not like a default go-to manufacturer. But we live in strange times. If you want to find out about Paganis or Koenigseggs, every owner is sharing their car on Instagram. You know about them all. Mm. There's no secrets. You You know exactly what that car's like. So I've always liked unusual stuff, like getting involved in McLaren back then. When they were a new company i like the fact that they were different it's the same with Zenvo. i believe in them for the future and i wanted to get involved now while it's an it's a very interesting car that we don't know much about people When's know much be about. In here? so i showed the car to everyone at the goodwood festival of speed um just about a month ago i the car is currently having paint protection film installed because i'll never drive one of my cars a mile on the road with an expensive paint job until it's protected uh it will go back to the factory for the final fit and finish and and um, shakedown tests and then I'll collect it and collect it in Denmark and we go straight from there to different events. So I don't know when it will be here but with a car like that it's going to dot around the world. It's going to go all sorts of places.
0: Compare it to when I saw you and this is when I I, I admired you like when when I was watching your channel and I saw you in this particular car I was like he really has cracked it. I I didn't know if you owned it or not. I just thought, just because you were in that car and driving it, I just thought, wow, it's just amazing. The LaFerrari, but the Aperta. Yeah. (laughs) And you were driving it, and I was like, hats off to you, man, because you you have been consistent, and you've been on it. But So, in a a short version, the LaFerrari Aperta, what was that like to drive, and how does it compare to this
1: Zenvo? You know, I have a couple of key moments from my YouTube career, that I'll never forget. I mean, there are many of them. But things like, I remember driving the La Ferraria Perta in Sardinia at sunset, driving through the twisty mountain roads, looking at the sun, very orange sky. Just the stuff of my dreams, quite literally, the stuff of my dreams that makes me go, uh, like, rewind the clock back. I don't even think I could have dreamt that far. You know, I couldn't mm-hmm. have ever thought that I could get to that. Mm. Um, and if I write a list of these things now, I went around Laguna Seca a few weeks ago in the Valkyrie AMR Pro, cornering over 3G. I've driven one of my favorite cars in the world, the Mercedes CLK GTR at Bahrain International Circuit. I went on Safari in South Africa in a G-Wagon Maybach, the Maibach Londolet they did, mm. um, you know, million euro car. I've been on the Autobahn and around the Nürburgring in Bugattis with Andy Wallace, the top speed record holder and Le Mans winner. I've filmed with F1 drivers and to me, this is like, like I was saying earlier about compressing the career. If that was the list of things I did in my whole lifetime, I I would feel like I've lived a pretty cool life and that's happened within like five years and I'm kind of, how, how, quite often, how how is that possible? How how did I get Get to experience this? Mm. Um, How... Do I get to drive cars like the LaFerrari Aperta? And I think it's a it's a very specific, let's say, position to be in. But I don't think there is a single other person who has driven a wider variety of supercars and hypercars than I have mm. on this planet. Genuinely, that's cool. Because very I've cool. driven them all. I've driven every Bugatti derivative, all of the Veyrons, all of the Chirons, every different Pagani, every different Koenigsegg. Every car from Ferrari, Lamborghini, Porsche, you know, everything. Like I, I don't think anybody else has that experience. And it's a fascinating goes back a bit to what you were saying about the responsibility. People make buying decisions over Your, opinions and yeah. in some cases my opinion, even about cars that cost five million euros. Yeah. So it really makes you think, do I know what I'm talking about? Am I right? You know, I'm actually I'm thinking about what I'm saying and what I think of the car. I'm not just Yeah. It's not just thrown out there. Um, and it's, it's a very privileged position to be in.
0: I'm going to um, finish off the conversation by just asking you a few quick-fire questions, sure. so it's like one or the other, but before I do, one last question. Crashes.
1: Fortunately, not many.
0: <laughs> Naturally, I mean, I had a big motorbike crash in 2005, oh. uh, split my kidney open, ended up in hospital. It was the worst but best thing that ever happened to me because it allowed me to sit in hospital, because I had no choice, and choose a path I way to go down. I thankfully uh, a friend of mine came and saw me, and he was a salesperson. He said, "Look, I think you've got the personality to be a good salesperson." I was like, "No." He said, "No, trust me, get better." Coming for an interview, rest is history. You know, wasn't great at first, but then started, you know, finding my way. Being a good salesperson gave me the confidence to set up my own business, which the first couple failed, and then now got a couple good good ones. And the sales characteristics has allowed me to do podcasting, which has allowed me to meet you. So. These certain things, even though at the time my mum and dad were crying their eyes out because they thought that I broke my back, in actual fact, it's led me to really good places. So I wanted to ask you, crashes about them and what's come off the back end of them.
1: So I'm I'm very lucky, Touchwood, that I haven't had very many crashes in my history. I nearly saw
0: one on the Gumball Rally though, with you <laughs> when you was nudging. <laughs> it was very
1: close. <laughs> but hey, what doesn't happen doesn't happen. Exactly. No, so you know, I think like everybody at a young age. Um, I had my occasions of getting it wrong, but thankfully never wrong in the sense of breaking anything. Um, you know, as a teenager driving in my Clio, had some moments, but fortunately no moment that ever involved any damage or the car going off the road. The only accident I've actually had was when I got driven into in the center. And that was just sitting at 15 miles an hour, yeah, sitting at 15 miles per hour on the M25 in a traffic jam and he changed lanes and hit me.
0: Asda. Yeah, every day. <laughs>
1: <Unfortunately>. <else. laughs> well, that's Tesco. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the um no. So, the, so that was that was that, and there's nothing I could do. It was completely in my blind spot. I didn't see it coming. Um, I think all those moments, though, every moment that happens, every nearly moment, also teaches you something. Yeah. You as you, it makes you think what could have happened if it went wrong. And even though you know I, I'm fortunate not to have experienced something such as yourself. You do learn from those. You do take away that experience and you do improve yourself as a person, your behavior, your ac- your actions and what you do improves off the back of it. Um, you know, I've people have often asked me, will I ever get into motorbikes? And I know what will happen. I'll go and buy some crazy over the top thing and the adrenaline rush will get to me and I'll do something stupid. Like a Ducati so, or... I'm quite a... happy not yeah. to, to be honest. Yeah, I, I don't I don't want to put myself into that risk. Mm. Um, I have enough risk with some of the cars that I drive. Um, but you know, I, I I get to do a lot of track driving, a lot of driving in safe environments, which means you do naturally turn it down on the road. You know, I've driven 150 odd laps at the Nürburgring. I've driven countless different racetracks. I did try and write a list. I think I've driven on 70 different racetracks or something around the world. So all of a sudden you stop chasing that risk level. Yeah. Because you can have it at higher speeds in a race environment. Yeah. Um, and it just it turns you down a little bit. So I'm lucky to have escaped unharmed. Just ego when the center got hit. Well not even ego because I wasn't doing anything wrong, but you know, just Yeah.
0: Good. Right, quick fire. Ferrari or Lamborghini, I know the answer to I'm this. a Ferrari guy. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> Four wheel drive, rear wheel drive. Rear wheel drive. Why? Fun. <laughs> Combustion engine or electric? Combustion.
1: Manual or auto? Ooh, that's actually hard. It depends on the situation. That's really like both. <laughs> Can I have both? No, if I had to choose one, it would be a manual, but the reality is auto is better in many environments. Tyres, Pirelli or Michelin? I have Michelins on most of my cars.
0: Rolls-Royce or Bentley?
1: Ooh. Ooh for me and what I would want a Rolls-Royce
0: See, I'm surprised with that I'm actually more Bentley because okay. I saw you had a Bentley Supersports right before No, I've never owned on? a Bentley I uh, took one on Gumball okay yes yeah. rental I used to have a, a white one convertible and I loved yeah. that car probably one of the best all-round cars I've ever owned speed yeah,
1: I, elegance reliability I just like the idea of getting driven around in a Phantom yeah. and <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> balling <yeah,
0: yeah>. out <laughs> turbo or supercharged
1: Ooh. That's difficult. I've got some of both. More turbos. Turbos. Um, I think i probably prefer a supercharger.
0: Yeah? Mm. Okay. Pagani or Koenigsegg? <laughs> God.
1: <laughs> That's what it's like. Uh, uh, I've always been a little bit more of Koenigsegg guy, I would say. V12 or V8? I have a lot of V8s, but there's something about a V12. Speed junkie. Or a relaxing cruise? On the road, I'm more for a relaxing cruise. Yeah. I enjoy just wafting along. Coupe or convertible? When I was younger, convertible, but now more coupe. I'm the same as that.
0: Last question, which is an, uh, an alternate. If you were to die today and you believed in reincarnation, but you come back as a car, which car would you be?
1: <laughs> what a fascinating question come back as a car, that's really difficult. I think my favorite car of the now is, probably would be the right answer is the Ferrari Daytona. The new Daytona. Beautiful. I love that thing.
0: My last question, which rounds off all my podcasts, I come Mm -hmm. up with a a mantra, you probably heard this. Um, And I try and live by it. It's very difficult all the time, but I've got a reminder in my books, my affirmations, even in my gym that I built at home, It's above the door, and it goes like this. Be happy, never content. If I were to ask Tim Burton, Shmi 150, here today, what does be happy, never
1: content mean to you? Be happy, never content. Enjoy what you're doing, but strive for what you can do next. Push hard for what's next. That's very close to something I like to live by. Do what you can do today so that you can do what you want to do tomorrow love that yeah. thank
0: you very much pleasure thank thank you really, for having really me on. honor honor it's a bit a huge honor okay hope everyone's enjoyed this and uh, be happy never content thank you very much